Hi guys, welcome back to the Heart and Hustle podcast. I'm Angela Kiard. And I am Charisma O'Keefe. And every week on Thursdays, we are here telling you about business, about wellness, about living your best life, about surviving 2020 as a creative, as a business owner, as a freelancer. Um, and this week, we wanted to talk to you about getting ready for the holiday season because we're basically in it. Um, it's October. It's the beginning of October. And so if you haven't taken these steps that we're going to talk to you about today, now, uh, if you haven't taken them yet, now is the time to take them to prepare your business, whether you have a brick and mortar business, an online business, even if you're just a freelancer who works with others, you need to take these steps to make sure that you are prepared and ready going into the holiday season. Because let's all try to make this the easiest holiday season of our lives, right? We've been through enough in 2020. <laughs> we also, because if you do have a product-based business because of the uncertainty of the way things are happening with shipping, is that you need to have your plan and your stuff in place right now because you know, holiday season is following the election and there's going to yes. be a lot of scrutinization about how that was handled. Regardless, there's already, yeah. like, it's going to happen. We've already heard the conversation about they're going to be criticizing mail. There's already been so many lawsuits and everything regarding the mail-in ballot. So this, like, I, you just need to have your stuff in a row. And so I think it's mm-hmm. important that we talk about that now. So the first step, I think, is uh, speak with your clients, your suppliers or contractors or anyone else that you're working with to make sure things are squared away for the coming months. And I mean, really, there's only two. So, and technically like one. So for the coming yeah. months, <laughs> I yeah. should say. Yeah. Make sure that like, if you're working with any clients and they have specific deadlines that they are trying to get to by the end of this year, or even if they're in that first quarter, make sure you know what those are right now. And you let them know, this is what I'm going to need from you. And I'll need it by this time to be able to have that done. If you're working mm-hmm. with suppliers, you want to be aware of Um, Like if it's a larger company, you want to know if if they're going to be like, for me, one of the things is candle jars. Like there's a shortage of candle jars, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I've already ordered a lot ahead of time. I know exactly the date. It's like, I can tell you the date when the new ones come in. You know what I mean? It's like, I have to be aware of those things. Um, If you have contractors that are working for you, just make sure that they're aware of, you know, when they're doing their work and, you know, you have communicated that and you just have everything laid out and ready to go. Yeah. Um, so number two is having a detailed plan of action for yourself and your team, kind of piggybacking on that same thing, but just making sure that not only have you spoke to them, not only are things like squared away, but there's actually a detailed plan of what you are going to do. So, you know, what, what week, what's happening, what day, what is happening. I, I definitely say like at least down to the week and then having those days where, you know, um, you know, specific, days um like you have a plan for uh black friday weekend you know what i mean like things like that so making sure that you know what are the details of your plan for the action you know and know what actions you're actually going to be doing um and yeah it's your job if you have a team to make sure that they know what they're doing because it's a difficult time and it's a stressful time so just make sure week to week day to day they know what they're responsible for right and so like things like assets for social those things need to be done by the first of November if you're gonna really target the Black Friday thunder, you know, so like high week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I call it the high sales week, high holiday week. You need to have all your assets completely done and put away no later than November first because yes. what's going to happen is that the ball's gonna ro- roll really quickly following this election news cycle. And I'm just letting you guys know this happened in 2016. I wasn't even in a product-based business, was working with people who were. And it was just incredible how quickly, like last minute requests we were getting to come up with graphics and things for people for social because they weren't prepared because they thought they would utilize like the first two weeks of November to kind of get everything done. And I'm telling you, that's not going to happen. So that type of stuff, you need to have hard deadlines. If you're working with designers, if you're working with social media people, like we talked about last week, let them know that they have hard deadlines and be very vocal about it. Don't be like, oh, well, you could. and, And, you know. This is very much your business. This is their work as well as being displayed and you don't want it untimely for them. And they definitely don't want to represent you in a poor light. So just be firm on those dates and make sure that you have that that plan in place right now. Like sit down after you hang up on, on this episode, stop listening, go sit down with your notebook and your calendar and get dates in your to-do platform, whether it's your notebook, whether it's your planner, whether it's your product management software, whatever you're doing, project management, do that like right now, because I cannot like express to you 
that we don't have that kind of time <laughs> if we just don't. Yeah. So the third step is staying on top of what is most important and taking care of things that you have been putting off. So by this, we mean if you've been saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to update uh, that, you know, section of my website that explains, you know, a policy or what we're selling or whatever, this is the time to do that because holiday season, a lot of people are going to be seeing your site. It does, like, honestly, there's very few like services and products that I can think of that aren't going to have more eyes on them due to the holiday season. Even if you don't like do stuff specifically for holiday, just think of the fact that more people are going to be off. A lot of people are off for a week for Thanksgiving and two weeks around like Christmas time and Hanukkah. So you're just going to have people that are off having more time to spend at home. And there's more chances of people coming across your website. So make sure that things are updated on your website. Make sure that if there's those little things that you have been putting off, like during the whole year, we know it's been a wild year. So if you've been putting them off all year, now this is the time to get those things done. Yeah, definitely agree. Like if you don't stay on top of your lists and your to-dos and even things that you feel like are small, like having your newsletters, et cetera, that stuff piles up so quickly and you just don't want to have things slipping through the cracks. So number four is plan and implement your sales and promotions. And um, I think if they've already started the cycle, but I talked about how the product boss had that like sale holiday sales, you know, course that I went through and I am like, I'm done with my, I was doing my sales in summer, which is very exciting and I don't have yeah. to talk about it. And so I, encourage you to do that for yourselves now that you have those dates the sales what the promotion is going to be how is it going to run how are you going to promote it get that stuff already done because your competitors trust me have already done it Mm -hmm. if they haven't already done it they're working on it right now yeah and it's just going to make your life so much easier to know and have those things in place and honestly like a lot of people are ordering for presents and for gifts and that sort of thing or to just enjoy like that like for example for me if someone's ordering a candle they might want to like that, enjoy that through the holiday season. So I need to make sure that I have my stuff ready to go so that people are getting things on time. So especially with the backups with, you know, the post office and things like that. And like you were saying with the election, we don't really know how that's going to affect, you know, our mail system and everything. So just making sure that you have those sales and promotions already mapped out. It's just going to make your life easier. You're going to know your inventory, know what you need to have ready going to make things so much easier. So number five is hire and train seasonal workers if you need them. So I do know that like a lot of times like your big box stores and stuff like that will start hiring in October. I think a lot of small businesses will normally tend to do it a little bit earlier, um, like August, September. But yeah, if you haven't done that yet, this is the time to hire and train those seasonal workers. It might be a situation for you where Maybe you have a business, like maybe you do um, branding and websites for other small business owners and you know there's going to be that boom in like December, January of people wanting to, oh, it's a new year, I want to start a new business. So maybe you hire on like a virtual assistant for this time frame. So it's not necessarily something that, again, has to do specifically with just the holiday season, but this is the time that you want to bring that person on and get them prepped before that boom comes in. December, January. So make sure that you have enough time to actually like let people know what they need to do before you're asking them to do it and make sure that you have a time to bring them on in a way that isn't so um, stressful, I guess, because again, you're going to be probably at your busiest, right? So you just want to make sure that you carve out the time to train them properly. Exactly. And again, this goes to any business season right now. I feel like everyone's focused on the holiday season because it's a distinct season that most people do experience a boom around depending on your industry, but this is for your busy season. So if your busy season isn't the next couple of months, but your busy season is spring, you already get a leg up if you start doing this stuff mm-hmm. right now. Um, yeah, also absolutely. Our last tip is to plan ways to boost employee morale. The You know, it's bad. <laughs> I feel like this <laughs> is like typical 2020. Yeah. Like, it's been a really like rough year. And I think that any, like any year, right. You need to, boost employee morale going into the holiday season because it's just such a busy season and and it's not like people are necessarily nice so I'm just going to use like Target as an example because I think like most of us have been to a Target and we're like familiar with how a Target operates right so if you have hired these like if you run Target and you've hired these seasonal employees and your employees come in and you know they're being treated like you know 
crap basically because it's Black Friday weekend and people are coming in and fighting each other and whatever. Hopefully this is not your job and it's probably not if you're listening to this podcast, but I'm just saying this is an example we can all like fully understand. You're going to obviously need to boost employee morale. Like your employees are not going to be happy in that environment of people fighting and, you know, going all wild because it's the holidays. We like to think that people are at their nicest and the world is, you know, lemon gumdrops and whatever, but that's not unfortunately how people act normally during the holiday season. Like a lot of times the worst in people comes out kind of like a wedding. You see the best and the worst of people. So sometimes people are not on their best behavior and tensions run high. Families are fighting, you know, people are home in their hometowns for the holidays and sometimes they're not happy about it. So you always have to be prepared for that side of things. And even the things that your employees might be going through, you know, you might have employees that aren't close with their families. So maybe this time of year is kind of hard for them, or maybe they don't celebrate, you know, a major holiday. And so they just kind of feel like left out during this time of year. So just kind of know what your employee situations are and do what you can do to like boost that morale among them. Just make sure that they feel safe, know that they can speak to you about whatever's going on. They can come to you if they need help and please back your employees up when it comes to, you know, customers and clients and and things like that. And just make sure that you're basically protecting them Um, and also boost morale for yourself. (laughs) So whether like, even if you're a small business owner and it's just you or it's just you and another person, like make sure to have just something to like get yourself through this season, this time. One thing that I like to do is have a holiday party that I look forward to at the end of the year. And it's literally just John and I, sometimes John and Raven and I. And I just like to do that because it's something that I know like, oh, we're going to get to do this fun party normally around like the 20th. And normally we go out for dinner somewhere nice on Disney property. We're obviously not going to do that this year. Um, But just having that that fun thing to look forward to can really do a lot for yourself and for your employees. Yeah, I mean, and there's people who just don't enjoy like, it's not that I don't love Christmas. But the the way other people love Christmas, I would say, do you love Christmas? So annoying. (laughs) Um, And so I like, (laughs) so are you saying that like, you find it annoying when Melissa and I are listening to Christmas music in July. Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, I'm literally, this is my point, is that boosting employee morale does not always mean putting on all I want for Christmas on repeat. Yeah, I get that. Especially in retail. My retail Mm -hmm. friends cringe starting, you know, November 1 because they are now looped into 60 days, you know, mandatory of Mariah Carey screaming at us. And like, there's nothing wrong with these things and like small. And I understand that some people, you don't have a choice. Like I get it. It's market. It's the season. It's the feeling you want people to spend more money, but just think of ways to like, look at things beyond just the holidays. Cause like you said, some people do not celebrate these holidays Some people for religious reasons, for personal reasons, they may have experienced a very tragic loss around this time. And it's very hard mm-hmm. to get back into the hype of the holidays if you have experienced a very critical loss in your life. Like I yeah. do not recommend trying to push your holiday cheer on someone who has lost someone, significant a baby, a, a spouse, a parent, a grandparent during this time. Like just give them their space they need like let them work if they're being fine like let them be fine like every day they're gonna come and be cheery they're gonna try their best but do what you can to kind of give them a little pep up because as much as you know like i feel like everybody's like buddy the elf and then like everyone yeah. else sometimes are just normal people like not everyone wants the buddy the elf but maybe people who are now working because they have to survive because they've been laid off people in the travel industry and the entertainment industries are now looking for seasonal jobs to kind of make it through this season so also be cognizant of that like these people know that these jobs are short term Mm -hmm. and know that they're gonna have to be looking soon in the you know soon to near future so just be aware of all of the things be empathetic I think this is the most advice for this time period it's just do your best to be empathetic as a business owner if you are hiring people or working with contractors during this time because it is it is a show of, of bad things. Like I, I won't say all the words I want to say, but we uh we 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 are doom scrolling in real life right now. So yeah, people be their best, and I think that's pretty much one of the the easiest ways to get through the holidays. Just being empathetic and being the best human you can possibly be. So, and I definitely think if you can hire um, in some capacity, I definitely think you should because people really need it this season. Um, like you said, with everything, all the layoffs that have happened and stuff, we have so many of them in Orlando. Um, so if you have been thinking about it and like playing around with the idea, like what a great time to really make a difference in somebody's life by being a job creator right now. So if that's something that is in your capacity to do, please consider doing that. 
especially now. Yep. Well, you guys, our interview is really fantastic. Take notes. Um, if you have, it to, really is. I just want to like quit it all and go invent toys. <laughs> yes. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter on our website, heartandhustlepodcast.com. At the bottom, there's like a little subscribe to the newsletter link, and you can put in your email. You will get the newsletter. You'll be putting in information about our shops, about the person who we're interviewing, the upcoming interview, like the upcoming episodes. We can put that in because that's already been scheduled out. So we can put some little bit of information for that. So we're really looking to get more feedback. I did some surveys last week. So we're excited to have you guys go on this journey with us. Yeah. And as always, make sure that you're following on social. We are Heart Hustle Pod on Twitter. We are Heart Hustle Podcast on Facebook and we are Heart House Podcast on Instagram. Um, and yeah, just uh, let us know how you guys are doing. If any of you are hiring and you want us to send that out to our listeners, let us know. Um, if you're a listener and you were laid off and you're looking for a job, let us know too because we might be able to connect you with someone. So I'm so excited for this interview. You guys are going to love it. We learned a whole lot. So I hope you guys enjoy. Great. Bye. Welcome back. We are so excited to have Ajelle here with us. And we're so excited that you're on the podcast because we have someone that is in the business of toys, which I mean, you guys, she's going to tell us all about it. So for those of us who are not familiar with your brand and your work, please let them know about you. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Ajelle, as she said. I've worked in the toy industry for 10 years. And recently, actually during COVID, I decided to leave my job as a VP. And now what I do is I help aspiring toy inventors and entrepreneurs make their way in the toy industry. And as I've been doing that, I've been realizing I actually am serving a lot of diverse toy concepts from like, you know, it might be black women, but it also might be people with ideas for toys for children with disabilities Mm -hmm. or educational toys. So I help all those people get connected in the toy industry and lead them on the path to hopeful success. That is so awesome. I feel like it's such like an interesting industry. We were just talking before we started recording, like in my mind, I'm such like a Christmas child. And so I've always just been like, toys just exist. Like they just pop up. (laughs) Um, So for me, like I think growing up, it wouldn't even have been something that I would have thought about as a career choice, but it sounds just so interesting and layered and dynamic. So how did you end up in the toy business and what has your journey in the industry been like so far? Oh, yeah. So I always knew I wanted to work with kids. I I always loved kids. I thought I was going to be a teacher at first. And then I thought I was going to be a child psychiatrist. And then I watched The Sixth Sense and I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then I grew up and I realized that teachers just don't get paid enough. They sure don't. They really don't. And I was like, no, I want to have a, a career and a family and they need a, I don't know how they afford life, but I can't do that. So um, I actually went to school and studied exhibition design and I was thinking I would do like children's exhibitions Mm -hmm. and I have a whole portfolio of all that work and it was so much fun. But then while I was in that program, one of my teachers saw my work and he was like, you know, there is a toy design program here. And I was like, that's not a real job. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) That's not a real thing. And he's like, no, it's a real job and there's money in it. Like that's a, it's a, a lucrative career. And I was like, no way. And I checked it out. And the head of the program, Judy Ellis, uh, really took a liking to me and gave me a shot. And I did horrible toy design concepts to get into that program. I don't know why she let me in, but she did. And, and I worked on it and I got better. And I, you know, that it's been, I've been there ever since. That's amazing. Yeah. That's I, so I love cool. that like someone pointed it out to you because again, I, like yeah. I said, it's like, oh, like people, like, how do you do that? To me, it's kind of like being like an Imagineer at Disney. It's like, even when you realize like someone has that job, it's like, it's not, we don't really see very many people having that job and especially people who look like us. Right. Which right. Is why I think it's so important that you're here today because it's like literally like we can actually do this job. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's amazing that you are in the position to help people who are creating toys for marginalized and underrepresented groups, because that has been my favorite part of being a parent now mm-hmm. is that my child can experience toys for people who look like everyone, like, and especially right now I'm on the market to look for toys that show different disabilities physically, physically, Mm -hmm. and like, you know, also learning disability toys for people, my friends who have kids are coming up who have serious different things. So I'm like, so intrigued the fact that there's so 
just a wide sp- spread of availability right now, which we did not have these options not in the all. 80s and the 90s right. at all. It was like, you have one Black Barbie, one Asian Barbie, <laughs> yeah. one maybe Latina Teresa. Is she maybe. Latina? I don't know. Latinx? Oh, was Teresa Latinx? I don't remember. She just I don't think she's a brunette. I think she's just a brunette. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's just a I would have probably paid attention if she was because granted I'm black but obviously I'm so light so like the black right. Barbie doesn't look like me you know what I mean? yeah, there same. were no curly yeah. haired Barbies like none of them had curly hair no, like, that no. Was oh, oh my god specifically I had a friend who her mom like her stepmom was from Germany and I think that I don't know if like they just dealt with diversity better over there or whatever but she was the only parent that told like any of my little friends white or black to buy me a black Barbie doll. And so when my friend gave me the Barbie for my birthday, she even pointed out, she's like, here's a Barbie. It was like a lifeguard Barbie. Or and she's like, my mom said that you would like the black one because it is a little more <laughs> like you. And I was like, thanks. And like, none of the Barbies really look like me, but I was just like, I mean, I literally have that Barbie to this day just because the like, the thought process behind it, you know, yeah. I mean? like, it meant a lot to me that somebody like really more like that it was her mom, you know what I mean? But then also that she shared that with her, her white, very white child and said, Hey, like we should have like some diversity in toys, you know? And that was my first time experiencing diversity, like in the toy, you know, industry. I remember like my grandma was adamant about getting me black dolls and my mom didn't care, but my grandma was adamant. And then she got me one. And I just remember thinking like, why does this matter? And I think it was because it didn't really look like me. Like it was like really dark and the hair was not an Afro. It was short and curly and straight. And I just didn't get it. Like I was like, I don't, what does this mean? I don't understand. And my whole family, it was darker than most of the people in my family too. So I'm just like, I don't understand the connection here. I don't get it. And I just did not understand back then. So now, but I wonder what it would have been like if I had a doll that really actually looked like me, like a light skinned black person with an Afro. Like what? what what I was a child too. That's exactly what it looked like as a child. And I I definitely did not see any dolls that look like me. Yeah. I guess if I had to say one, like cabbage, I look most like a cabbage patch. Than <laughs> any other type. Like yeah. I look to this day, I look more like a cabbage patch than a Barbie. Let's be real. Oh my gosh, that's great. The oh accuracy God. in that statement, my poor friend. Oh my word. I look like a cabbage patch doll. I do. Oh so moving on to a little bit more, less lighthearted. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced in your career thus far? And honestly, I want to kind of tack on and say, how, what are some of the ways that you handle challenges mm-hmm. in your industry? Because again, we've never spoken to anyone in the toy or gaming industry at all. So I'm very excited yeah. to hear about this. Well, as a black woman, the the challenges I faced, and it's so hard to say as a black woman, because, you know, you go through these things and you're like, is this happening because I'm black? I'm right. pretty sure it is. But you're like, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. Who puts you don't right- have anyone else to talk to about it. Then, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there was a, a company they worked for and I, it was just very hostile. It was so hostile. And I was, I actually ended up getting the opportunity because another black woman um, interviewed me. And, and when everyone was on the fence about me, she was the one who kind of said like, no, let's give her a shot. And she told me this later. Um, and, but, but once I got that shot, it was just really hostile. It felt like I could not do the right thing. Like I could never do the right thing. It always felt like I was working so hard and, and, um, just not giving them what they wanted. And then, uh, there, you know, there, of course, like when you move up in your career, you're always moving up to a situation where you're challenging yourself. So there is going to be a little bit of a learning curve. So I knew there was a learning curve. I knew I had to improve on some things, but there was just like no forgiveness for that time. And that was really hard. And it really took a huge toll on my health and my sanity. And I I just powered through it to get the growth that I needed to get. But eventually I, I had to leave the team and then the company um, because it, it just, you know, it wasn't healthy. But I, I mean, I wish I didn't have to. It was an amazing company. And I just, but, but at some point, you know, you're like, okay, I have to cut my losses here. I can't, like live in this, you know, being kind of like put down and held in place because I had so much to give and I'm I'm like, I have so much to learn. I can do so much. And, and I just felt like it was one of those situations where you, they didn't want you to grow and Mm. I couldn't do that. So that was definitely the, the hardest challenge I've had so far in my career. 
man that's so hard yeah that is that is really rough i mean yeah i feel like under like like marginalized minorities we all face that that wing clipping like we Mm -hmm. do we all have this space or a place or you know even a client or a job that you get that where they want to hold you back from being great and that is where it's like what it's so frustrating so i can totally like as you were saying the story and i can imagine because like my husband's had some great opportunities to work for some amazing places that are so amazing Mm -hmm. do such amazing work but he wasn't able to to fly in the way that he Mm should have and so i totally can just when you're around greatness but they're not allowing you to be a part of that greatness it's so like it's heart-wrenching it's so crushing soul crushing and it starts to weigh on you and you Mm -hmm. begin to develop imposter syndrome and all these other Mm -hmm. psychological problems so i'm like i feel like i want to go back in time and like like no get out yeah Yeah, it starts to make you think like do I even deserve to be here it's Mm -hmm. so hard to believe you're worth what you think you're worth financially it's 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 a struggle and yeah it's it's horrible and it's really hard like when you know you're qualified when you've done the work and from what I have found is that when there's a person of color in the room but especially when there's a black woman specifically in the room Mm -hmm. even if you're just in the room even if you're on the outsides of the room right if you're getting coffee in the room I find that they are often overqualified because it takes so much for us to even get in the damn room. Yes. So if we're in the room, like we we're definitely qualified. Like yes. I, I've never in, in all my experience in the different industries I've worked with, the different types of people, different types of clients I've worked with. I've never, ever been in an, a situation where I've seen a black woman who wasn't qualified for what it was that she was doing. Um, meanwhile, like, oftentimes white men like will be in situations where they kind of not all the time but kind of walk into it and they're given a little bit more grace and they're given a little more like let's learn on the job and things like that Um, and I can say this because my husband is a white man and I see it firsthand like he like when he got like the first time that he ever applied for a job and didn't get it he was in his 30s and he was shocked he was shocked and he was so I mean he went into like a depressive spiral like it was Stop like it. and I was like babe like you just didn't get this one job and and you know I have two like two brothers <laughs> who are black men in in America and work in like the political field and they will apply for like you know literally like 60 jobs I'm not exaggerating before they'll land that like really really good one and they have to they have to go after a high salary because they live in New York City, you know. So mm-hmm. it takes so much effort for them to get one job. And meanwhile, he didn't get this one job, and he was like, "I I can't believe I didn't get this job." And I was like, "And I was like, you don't just get every job you apply no. for." And then I realized that he had. Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> I realized that he had. And the thing is, is like, is he qualified? Yes. Like now he's he's worked really hard. He's very qualified. But I mean, like his he's he actually is a teacher. And when he went into his job, he was not done with his college degree yet. He was a senior intern and the principal at his school tried to contacted UCF and asked if they could hire him when he was not done with his degree. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That would not so happen. that's what I'm just like, <laughs> what? Like, I don't oh, understand. What world so is that? We, it's, you know, I see it firsthand with like my experience in life and his experience in life. We are not playing with the same like you know deck of cards like it's yeah. just a completely different experience and it is it's it's really challenging for black women out there but again like i said i think that if we're in the if you see a black woman in the room you know she has earned her way into that room that's Seriously. that's it <laughs> they do, but i need i mean we know that yes. she earned her they we don't know. know we know they, they don't, don't know. think so. they're gonna learn though that's what i can tell you is that i'm gonna keep letting them know yeah we have you to know? keep letting them know like they don't understand like yeah. how hard you have to try like forget the fact that people aren't going to give you opportunities like just where you came from where your parents exactly. came from how you literally yeah. are building your career yourself like my mom had a uh, had a successful business while I was growing up but it wasn't in the toy industry so everything I have every connection I make is something I built Mm -hmm. and a lot of other people have a history of family wealth or family business that they they passed down and I think black families haven't quite learned how to do that the right way yet like how to pass all that down so and and some of them don't have a lot to pass down so it's like uh, 
I don't know. There's so many levels of how hard we have to work just to get building from scratch. And then every time that we know we find ways to build, like literally there's like government initiatives to stop us. So my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So speaking of racism, pretty much every industry that exists in America has uh, racism in it. Um, But I think that in the toy industry, it's incredibly important for it to be an anti-racist industry because as we were talking about before, like it's so important to be able to see yourself reflected in the industry, Mm -hmm. Um, not just as like a toy maker and stuff, but also like when you're a kid getting those toys, you know what I mean? Um, And without diversity in the actual field and with the toy makers, you're not going to have kids getting toys that look like them or look like even just like their friends so that they can learn you know there's different types of people not every doll needs to look like me but it'd be nice if some do and then some look like other people I know so what actions can both toy makers and consumers take to make the toy industry more anti-racist oh yeah I I did a whole episode on this on my podcast I um, know I actually listened ooh, to it you did that was the first one I listened to because I think I, I emailed you that I was like I am listening and it is great and <laughs> yeah that was the first one I listened to that's called the ripple effect of racial bias in the toy industry I was really proud of that name because it was yeah. like safe yet mm-hmm. honest <laughs> you know um I think and, and what I cover in there is is how toy companies should address it just starting initially with packaging before you even get into the product because product has MOQs for certain colorways and MOQ is a minimum order quantity. So Mm -hmm. say you can only do the skin tone because you're only going to order 10,000 pieces. Like that could be what's happening for smaller companies. But something you can do is you can feature multiple races on your packaging. Mm -hmm. You can just have photo shoots where the kids aren't all white or, you know, they aren't all just brunettes or like something like that. So that's something that I go in t- into in depth in um, that podcast episode because it's it's not just what happens when you put a black person or a Hispanic person or an Asian person on a package, but it's also what happens when when your company starts to have that initiative, then they're hiring more black and Hispanic and Asian models. And then there's more opportunities for those groups. So then there's more, they're more likely to go into the field of being a model, which is just, it's a ripple effect. It's you know, it's not just helping the toy industry, but it's it's helping level the playing field for all races to do all things instead of feeling like they have to um, put their efforts into a specific business that um, might benefit another race more. Like, why can't they do the creative arts? Like, why shouldn't there be opportunities for all races to be on toy boxes? So that is what I think the toy industry should do. And then consumers, I think it's, it'd be great if they were more vocal about what they want, which they are being now, like with social media. And also just um, looking at companies that really care about um, diversity, like companies like buying your dolls from a company that creates black dolls for black girls, as opposed to buying it from Mattel. Um, and I, I love Mattel, but I'm just, but you know, you got to be real when there are small businesses out there. Um, and there's black women starting these black toy companies, like you got to support them. And that's the only way they're going to be able to keep growing and keep going. And if you make them big enough, one of the big toy companies might give them an offer to buy them out. And then you're just, you know, you're helping the community even more. So yeah, that's what I think that, um, consumers and toy companies could do. I have to say, I love these, um, like black owned doll companies. Mm-hmm. And one that I'm really into is Harper Iman dolls. Ooh, I don't um, know that one. yeah, they're on Instagram, just Harper Iman dolls, H A R P E R I M A N. And I have a friend that is a whole adult, my friend Morgan, but she is like, listen, I never had best. a doll that looked like me and I'm going to buy one. Oh, and I see so, them. I've seen these before. Yeah. They're she so literally, cute. it's funny if, if, anybody goes on now the doll she ordered is actually like six images um like six images into their feed or whatever but she got like a doll that is like they call it like the more to love like size doll and hers has like glasses and it's wearing overalls which she wears a lot and it has like curly like curly hair and it's just like it's amazing so I, I love to see things like that. Uh, even just like I have a niece who's 10. And even when she was like a baby, it was hard to find stuff like this. And stuff like this is now finally popping up so much mm-hmm. more. And I love that like even in, again, it's it's black owned and most of the dolls that I see are 
um, are black. I don't know if they make any white dolls, but they have images of little white girls with their dolls too. And oh, I love so to great. see it. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think that supporting companies like that is, like you said, it's just incredibly important as a consumer. Oh, you know what's interesting? You just reminded me of something. I'm sorry if this goes off track a little. No, you're fine. But so I, on the side, started a clothing company. It's called Costumize Me. I traveled to Africa like a year ago to visit a friend and had a whole reawakening. Like, who am I? What do, what do I, what am I doing with my life? You know, kind of thing. And I was like, you know what? I want to redo and rebrand Costumize Me for black women and and do kind of like a duality of, you know, what it's like to be black growing up in a white world and kind of communicate that in clothes, right? And I was talking to a white coworker of mine about it. And I was telling her like, yeah, I'm going to rebrand, rebrand and relaunch and it's going to be for black women. And her response was so interesting because her response was like, well, gee, thanks. Like, what about us? And I was like, wait, wait, <laughs> I was like, wait do you not realize that everything is for you? I know. And so that's what this reminded me of when I went on their website and it's all these black dolls and I love it. But it's so funny because now I know because of talking to people that some people might see this and say, yeah, but what about us? Why can't we get these? And I don't know. That's just such an, it's just an, I feel like you should be aware of all perspectives, right? Yeah. It's very interesting. I think that people see it that way because I think that they've just never, they're not used to being excluded from the conversation. Like we constantly are. So black Mm -hmm. people were, we're used to having to try to find, you know, some sort of like thread of commonality when watching a movie, when watching a TV show and playing with toys that don't look like us and not seeing ourselves in everything. We're just used to that as are you know, Asian people and, you know, a lot of Latinx people and, and tons of other, you know, groups of people, but for white people, they're not used to that. So when it happens to them, sometimes they see it as some sort of like attack <laughs> instead of just being like, Hey, we're just carving out space for other people. Yes. Um, but I love the type of white people that can appreciate you know, like my friend who was like, oh, you know, here's Black Barbie. I'm like, let's play with her, you know, like who can appreciate like, okay, just because this is different doesn't mean that, um, you know, I can't also play with it and enjoy it, you know, and I definitely, I'm starting to see more white parents like buy books for their kids that have, that are by like authors of color and like things like that. So that's definitely a good thing. Exactly. Oh, I'm obsessed with these dolls, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, now I'm so obsessed. cute, right? <laughs> yes, I'm obsessed. I might need to buy one. So switching gears a little bit, it's 2020. It's our favorite topic on this podcast this year. <laughs> this year has just been a uh, complete fire of the dumpster. Fire variety. Yeah. So uh, how has the toy industry specifically been affected by COVID-19 and the events of 2020? Because I like as a parent from the outside looking in, it kind of looks like everything's fine. But as a person who sells products and the news that we got yesterday, if you weren't on the news, uh, you know, there probably won't be stimulus talks for a very long time. So that affects mm-hmm. the way people are buying. So I'm sure that affects the toy purchasing economy and what everyone was expecting for holiday 2020, which has been hyped up for e-commerce is this big, like white whale that is coming to save us all that we're gonna all gonna make our money back in q4 and now i'm like no one has any money so i would Mm -hmm. love to know what's going on on your end and how things are happening with the companies in your industry okay so actually it's been booming (laughs) good yeah so it's because everyone's home so it's it's specific categories it's arts and crafts it's puzzles Mm -hmm. outdoor toys and um, dolls a little bit, but not so much. And I'm talking like double digit growth, like uh, I think it was 16%. And normally the toy industry grows like 1% year over year. It's very, very slow growth. And just in, and I hope I'm saying the right percentage, but just from, uh, I think it was January to um, June or something, it was like 16% growth in the categories that I was well because of the categories I just mentioned and I think so so because the toy industry was so the growth was so slow it's really competitive and it's really price competitive so I kind of feel like what's happening is the money that people are saving on let's say like buying new electronics or traveling to work they only need a small fraction of that to buy an arts and crafts kit or a puzzle Mm-hmm. or a plush doll. And I think um, to keep their kids active, everybody's getting like 
um, tired of screens. So to keep their kids engaged, they're buying these toys. So I'm actually working on a, an article about like, how can we keep this engagement that we, we gained over COVID? Like, what are we going to do to make sure that people remember how nice it was to be at home with our family and spend face-to-face time. Oh, board games is another category that grew exponentially. Um, How, like, you know, how are we going to get families to remember how great it was to like play, to tactilely play and not just be on apps. And so it's been great, honestly. And I don't know what will happen Q4, but you know, with, with no, with no stimulus checks, but honestly, it's, it's been fantastic because people have to stay home and they need something to do. Yeah, yeah, I will say sense. right when it started, because I am a board game person and now yeah. that I have a child who can read, I'm like, I want to play board games with you. You're my only child. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let's do life. Because when I was her age, I was very much into life. We were into Monopoly. Like we were into, that's what you did. Like that's all you you had or whatever. Right. Board game for your life. And, and then you moved on to the Nickelodeon toys and stuff. So I'm like trying to make her like relive the 90s summers yes. through quarantine <laughs> and the time that we have at home. But the prices were crazy the first couple of months because they were selling out so much. And so you would only, only the only store was open was Amazon. So you'd go to Amazon and a board game of life was like $25. What? <laughs> no, I'll come back when it's 10 um, or $30, wow. depending on the variety. But I feel like now the prices have evened out. Like we got Uno cards. We played Uno for like three or four months. It was ridiculous. Like I'm very, you know, it doesn't surprise me that the board games have been doing so well because as a person who likes board, like that's what I want to do. Like that's where mm-hmm. I'm going with my my quarantine experience. So I'm excited to see the development of more board games because there are a lot of, um, you know, black women who are getting into the card game and the board game industry. And I'm very excited for adults, mostly not really for kids, but I'm excited to purchase those and have more things to do because I uh, we're going to be at home for a while. So right. mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know the game, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. My boyfriend mm-hmm. works for What Do You Mean? He's a design oh, director there. Oh, oh that's, yeah. so cool. that's so cool. I love that game. Yeah. Um, I love games like that. Like, I have a lot of, like, board games like that. I do have the classic ones, too, like Scrabble and things like that. But, yeah, yeah I love all the, like, yeah. games basically geared for millennials. I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. give it to me. I <laughs> yeah. will take it. I mean, we don't talk about the, that other cards one anymore. It's gone. Rest in peace. But yeah. <laughs> like, we, we know, we all know what we're talking about. We don't mm-hmm. talk about that one anymore. I'm also on. very into puzzles. Like, Oh, yeah. I'm like give me a good puzzle I'm here for that like yes I'm very into it like the longer like more more pieces the more complicated the better um, oh I've seen gosh. like ombre cu- cu- um, puzzles oh like, no I know right to yourself <laughs> I'm like I don't know why but that's like very calming to me so oh <laughs> but like growing up my best friends were my grandparents so like that's Aww. probably why like I was hanging out with like two 70 year olds and it was like <laughs> do puzzles like that was really like how I spent a lot of my time so very into like puzzles like Scrabble was like a family event I was gonna say Scrabble if you said don't say Scrabble like I will lose my mind because yeah it was a straight up family event and like when you were too young to play you would partner with one of the adults like in your family and it would just be like a like everyone would be involved. It was very intense. Um, and then games like Taboo, love those sort of games. Yes. My brother and I can read each other's minds. And I mean, like we've gotten into like we've had such intense family like game nights that like one of my uncles has like yelled at us because he's been like, you have to be cheating. And we're like, we're seriously not. We're just like the same person. Um, so I love those types of games. Like John and I don't have kids yet, but man, when we do like, we're definitely going to have a family game night and a family Aww. puzzle night, two different Aww. nights. It's going to be so nice cute. and nerdy. I'm pretty excited about it. But yeah, I, I am glad that families are like spending more time together. It's definitely one of the beneficial things that have happened from this year, right? Yes. People like connect more and that sort of thing. And I've been buying activity boxes, um, which are a thing that I never really saw before. I'm not sure if they were a big thing before, but whenever I go to like Target or whatever, they'll have these themed activity boxes inside. It'll have like coloring books, activity books, like um, certain pencils and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are my, what I call the road trip kit yeah <laughs> like, I, okay like, so that makes sense those. like I had yeah. just never really seen them before like not being a parent but now yeah. I whenever I see them I buy a whole bunch of them and then bring them over to my nieces and nephew and they think that they are just like the best thing ever so oh, that's awesome yeah <laughs> so for those of us who are not in the industry 
we've never really probably thought about a toy inventor versus a toy entrepreneur or know that there's any difference. But on your website and your podcast, you speak about how these are two very different types of people. So tell us what is the difference between a toy inventor and a toy entrepreneur? Yes. In a nutshell, a toy inventor sells ideas and a toy entrepreneur sells products. That is the simplest way to explain it. But yeah, um, toy inventors, they basically come up with like dozens of toy ideas, um, maybe a week. And they're sketching, they're making mock-ups, they're testing concepts, they're uh, building prototypes. And then eventually they're pitching to toy companies to try to get them to license their ideas. They're selling their ideas uh, for a percentage of profits. And toy inventors, um, entrepreneurs are instead taking the time to really hone one concept usually or one brand idea, one brand identity and develop that concept and develop that product line to launch either a, a platform, a website, or to try to sell it directly to larger stores like Target and Walmart or smaller mom and pop stores like a small toy store you might have down the street. So yeah, those are the main differences. I feel like I'm learning so much. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> I love learning new things like, so much. So oh, that was glad. really good to know, um, especially because I now know someone who's in the Target Accelerator program. And so I'm stalking her in a different, you know, she's in the beauty industry, but it is geared towards, you, you know, infants and toddlers. And so yeah. I'm learning so much about her experience going through that program and her kind of like showing us a little bit of the BTS uh, as much as she can. And I'm like, this is so interesting how much things change once you go from being kind of like concept to now trying to develop this concept and then put it and pitch it into stores especially large retail stores such as target like it's such a wild ride and i cannot believe that so many people do this yeah (laughs) i mean that's awesome so what advice do you have for aspiring toy entrepreneurs specifically who are just starting out yes advice for okay well i the biggest thing that i tell people is just know the toy market, like really know who your competitors are and know the products that they put out, the price they put those products out at, the sizes of the boxes of their products at those price points, and then know where you're planning on selling. Like if you're planning on selling at a Target, you have to know what Target expects. Um, If they have a $10 box, what do they expect to be inside of it? How big do they expect it to be? What colors do they expect it to be? And if you're going online, then that's a whole different ballgame and you have to understand um, the cost of shipping. If you're doing Amazon, the cost of FBA fees. If you're doing your own website, the cost of running a Shopify platform and the logistics of it. So I I guess my biggest um, suggestion is just to research before you jump in and to really understand the market you're getting into so that you can make sure that the idea you have fits white space in that market and isn't just going to be something that already exists for a higher price point or a a lower quality. And so flipping it back to toy inventors, what advice do you have specifically for aspiring toy inventors? And I have my little notebook out because I'm like, (laughs) I've got some ideas. (laughs) Oh yeah. For toy inventors. uh, The biggest thing is toy inventors are always afraid that someone's going to steal their idea and just develop it (laughs) without them. And they always want to get toy companies to sign NDAs to protect their ideas. And, and they're just, they're just afraid to share. And, you know, it's kind of, my answer is going to be unfortunate. Unfortunately, you can't do too much to protect your idea, especially if you don't have a patent or patent pending. Um, Toy companies are not going to sign your NDA because that puts them at a lot more liability than it's worth to just hear your idea because that NDA could mean that anything that they come up with, even kind of similar to your idea, that they they could possibly be sued for. So they're not going to sign your your NDA for that reason. And, you know, I've heard a lot of talk in the industry that the best thing that's going to protect you is kind of your relationship with these toy companies. So as you foster that relationship, just being kind and respectful and trying to really connect with them on a human level so that when you send, when you share your ideas, you know, they're, they're protecting them for you. They're thinking of you as a partner and not as someone they're trying to take advantage of. So 
I think just toy inventors have to realize that like ideas are a dime a dozen. It's just about um, the preparation and the opportunity to present those ideas. And from there, you know, it's a little bit of like a luck game, like 95% of ideas that are shown or presented are not picked up. So, you know, don't feel like, oh, they're just, they're going to steal my idea. Like they're not going to steal your idea. Like no one wants to steal your idea. No one, the reason they want you is because you did all of the legwork. Like you have to build mm-hmm. prototypes and presentation boards for them and explain how it works. Um, but you know, they're not going to be, they're not just looking through all these inventor concepts just so that they can steal your idea. They're actually looking for people that can do the legwork for them. So just don't be afraid because then you're holding yourself back. And honestly, like the one thing that people hate to hear, but it's true. <laughs> it's like if a toy company, like if a major toy company chooses to steal your idea and they just don't care, um, there is really so little that you could do about it because you you could fight it. But financially, it would be cost prohibitive to try to fight something like that. Like, why would you invest your stress? It's more the the pro inventors think of it as uh, quantity, like they're throwing out as many ideas as possible so they can get one to land. Um, and yeah, that's, you know, it's just, don't be afraid, like just go with the flow, just let the ideas out, like to the right people. This like so much reminds me of like stew pickles, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous. And you know, yeah. the toy inventor of our childhood who like yeah. let us know a little oh my bit. Gosh. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> he used to invent right. toys. And so it very much reminds me of him, obviously, through the series failing so hard all the time. And then yeah. finally getting his big break with the Reptar company when he came up with that Reptar, like large giant version or whatever. And it's just so funny how he was so like he wasn't afraid to share his ideas, but his ideas were so bad. Right. <laughs> yeah, they were just trash all the time. I don't yeah, know. I'm not saying like don't put your ideas on social media, but like yeah. Yeah. when you have a toy company competing with to a toy company, yeah, be it. ready to yeah. pitch. Yeah. Stupid people would definitely be on Snapchat being like, look, I'm oh in the basement. You're watching the babies just fail thing and blow something up in his My face. mom would always like swear up and down that she invented like every toy that ever came out. <laughs> And that, my dad's like, the same way. Yeah, like I remember, like she used to, and and some of them she did talk about, but she didn't do anything. So, exactly. Like, I there was one specific thing she would talk about. Oh, wouldn't it be cool? Like when I was in my Barbie stage, she'd be like, "It'd be so cool if like Barbie's hair glowed in the dark." And she would say it, but like didn't actually do anything about it. And then like I don't know, three or four years later, they came out with a glow in the dark hair Barbie, and my mom was like, oh, "I invented it," and she still will bring it up to this day, like <laughs> twenty years later. And I'm just like, okay, but you didn't actually do anything. So like, what do you like? What do you want us to do for you? <laughs> like, yeah, because the thing is, the toy industry is so competitive. The reason they use inventors is it's a speed thing. They don't have the team that can develop all these ideas. So if your mom like had on her free time reached out to factories and found yeah. different materials for the hair and then went to a company and said, I can make glow in the dark Barbie hair. And if you want it, like I want like 5%. Yeah. And, like that's how you that's make the how deal. You actually make it into something. Yeah. Because they're like, Oh, we could rush that to the market and it's already developed. Like that's, that's the reason for it. Yeah, that's how you get into like being like less of a Kirsten American doll into a Samantha mm-hmm. American doll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you move, your, you move your money, Mark. Um, so, <laughs> do you have a mentor now? And are you mentoring others? And what advice do you have for those who are looking for the right person to mentor them? And I think this can work across the bro- board with all industries because everyone right now is kind of coming into their own business, whether they, you know, been furloughed or let go. So we really want to be sure to lead these people into the right directions. Yeah. I have so many mentors, <laughs> like so many, I, I have mentors that help me with, you know, I have many different facets to my business. Uh, mm-hmm. so there, I have a mentor that kind of is more of a marketing mentor. I have another mentor who who kind of helped me move on from my last employer with telling me the right way to handle it um, to make sure that my team was okay. I have a mentor that kind of keeps me like uh, honest and 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 uh, realistic, I guess I should say not honest, realistic. So when I tell him like, yeah, I want to do this, he's like, let's just like be real though. I've got, you know, I feel like I I have many different mentors. Some of them are friends. Some of them are just professional relationships. Some of them are helping me 
move into areas of the toy industry that I never thought I could do. And I just reached out and I was like, Hey, I think I want to do this. Um, I think I want to move into, let's say marketing in the toy industry and I've never done it before. Where would you suggest I start? And then, or, or do you even think that's possible for me to do? Can I take on this, this new job or this new client? Do you think I could handle this? And because they know me, they'll say, okay, yeah, I think you can handle it. Here's what you need to know to do it the right way. Here's a book you need to read. Here's like, and that's how I use my mentors. I just keep them very specific. And as far as mentoring someone, I do have a couple of people I'm mentoring on and off. And they're just people that have reached out to me from my podcast and asked for advice. And I'm actually working on a toy mentorship program for people that are um, coming from non-toy degrees. So say they majored in industrial design at some college that didn't have a toy program, but they love toys. So after all these people started reaching out to me and asking me for advice, I was like, I think I should make some sort of little mini affordable program that will help show these people the way that I would suggest they break into the industry. And this is based on my experience and also based on when I hired people outside of the toy industry, like why I hired them. Uh, so I'm mentoring one girl right now and she's awesome. And she got a job now in the toy industry and, um, just people kind of reach out to me and whenever they do, I'm like, yeah, I'm here to help. I'll give you whatever information I have and I'll grab your email. So I'll let you know when the real official program starts, but I try to help wherever I can. I love that because unfortunately there's sometimes people don't want to do that. So (laughs) we, I I've seen some things this year actually where people have been not the kindest about mentoring and there's been like, Really? Yeah, there's been, it was like, you know, there's an incident, I'm not going to name any names, but a big time <laughs> blogger um, was really unkind to somebody who asked, you know, about having a mentor. And, and I mean, she could have just said like, oh, you know, like I'm a little busy at the moment or like my plate's full, but like, you know, why don't you look into like reaching out to these people? But instead she was like super nasty about it and like posted it on the internet. Oh no. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you hate to see that sort of thing. And I think at the end of the day, there's enough room at the table for everyone. So why not help the people that are coming up behind you? I think honestly, if anything, it just gives you more of a bigger impact in your industry. Yeah, no, a hundred percent because those people are going to grow and then they'll hopefully remember you. Exactly. But also I feel like people looking for mentors, just make sure that when you look for a mentor and even I'm still learning this, you have to come to them with a specific plan that you have. Even if your plan's wrong, Mm -hmm. you come and you say like, I think I want to do this. You know, what do you think about that? Will this help me achieve this goal? And that gives them something to work with. I feel like sometimes people reach out to me and they're like, oh, I have like a toy idea. Will you help me develop it? And it's like, no, I can't do that. I have a full time thing (laughs) here. (laughs) I can't do that. But if you tell me a specific problem you're having, like, yeah, I can help you with that. So thankfully, people are finally starting to be more sustainable here in 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about time. The world is literally on fire. So it's like we need to be focused on sustainability for sure. Um, So what steps should the toy industry take to be more sustainable? Oh, my gosh. So many. Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, it's like an oxymoron, the toy industry and sustainability. Like it's not. Is that wait? Is that the right term? Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I, I recently like interviewed a bunch of people about this cause I wanted to talk about this and what we've, the term that kept coming up was a circular economy. Like we've got to build, um, circular business models so that we can have a more circular economy and the toy industry, you know, in essence, isn't going to be sustainable because the idea of producing products isn't sustainable. But, um, right now I think the toy industry is very, kind of apathetic to the havoc it wreaks on the world by creating products. And I think that is what has to change. And toy companies that intentionally um, take go, go through their product line and say, okay, I've got this. I, I just interviewed someone recently and her bubble company is called like Dr. Zig. So, so they have this really popular um, uh, bucket. It's a plastic bucket for bubbles. And she's like, it, you know, it sells like crazy. And it started to keep me up at night because I'm like, this is just a thing of plastic. Like it's just plastic. So she discovered through research and, and traveling um, 
the a waste from a coconut tree. And this waste, she was able to work with this community, this local community. I can't remember where outside of the U S obviously. And, um, to turn these, this coconut waste into little beautiful buckets that can now be her Ooh. bubble buckets. And she's swapping out that product now in her product line to, so it's not a plastic bucket anymore. And it's going to be this beautiful, that looks almost like a planter, like a beautiful coconut bucket that people can make bubbles in. And she just is, it was saying like, you know, that's what's important, like that we're actually making an effort to make these changes towards sustainability. So now instead of just going to China and making a plastic bucket, I'm using waste um, from a community and recycling that. And while, yeah, there's a carbon footprint because of the, you know, shipping the materials, it's about changing the way that we view products and the life cycle of things. So we're not letting a coconut husk go to waste. We're reusing it and then making it into a product and selling it. So that's what the circular economy is all about. And I think that is something the toy industry can definitely do. Just look for little ways. I mean, we sell like like hundreds of thousands of pieces of product a year. So imagine changing one product to bamboo or one product to coconut. Like that's a huge impact. That is so, like, I my mind is blown. I want it <laughs> to happen immediately because I do struggle with toy buying in the sense that we don't do a ton of plastic toys in our house for that reason. Like, we, there's it's not sustainable, and I try not to invite that into my home, so to speak. All of our baby toys are pretty much wooden, uh, which was so nice, expensive, but nice. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think they're, the consumers of today and the parents of today are definitely looking to purchase more things that are longer if it is plastic or it's not something that's recyclable how long can it last or mm-hmm. that's the beauty of board games that they last so long the longevity is there and most of the time they get passed down from yeah. generation yeah. to generation or they are sold in a yard sale sometimes you you know i got a version of the logo game i love the logo game i'm a logo designer you know that's my thing oh. and ours got wrecked because we have a child and she wrecked it and my friend had a perfectly brand new box and she was going to sell it in a yard sale. I was like, absolutely not. Like, I'm going to give you money for it. And so that's one of those <laughs> things where it's like, it's sustainable because her husband, who was also a designer, didn't need it anymore. And I think that that's the beauty of toys that are sustainable is that they're long lasting and that they get passed on generations. Yeah. So the idea of having something that also impacts the, you know, nature so positively in a way I would definitely as if I had the money to invest I'd be like I'm an investor you know that's something mm-hmm. that I'm looking to do as we continue to grow as people who are looking to invest in companies and ideas that we want to invest in sustainable companies and products so I love this idea really yeah. do I, I have all of my grandparents board games because they kept them in good condition and they were made wow. with like you know good qualities and stuff and so I mean some of these games are you know from like the 70s and 80s versions of the games um and i have all like you know backgammon and just like a whole bunch of them so oh, backgammon yeah, yeah. <laughs> i learned how to play that as a kid so i did too but i don't games. remember anymore my dad was obsessed is obsessed yeah, yeah yeah my grandfather was obsessed so he was just like <laughs> i don't care if you're a little girl like you're gonna play backgammon. <laughs> not sure what you wanted to do today but it's not gonna involve princesses i feel like so, my, my <laughs> is being a grandfather now like all this conversation is just making me realize i just need to be a grandfather. i like, I, I really <laughs> am one. like I'm like time to play Sudoku and backgammon and then I'm gonna take a nap like oh I just that's pretty much what I'm like but yeah I, think I am that, sitting here with a heated blanket exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah I think it is awesome when there's you know those toys that we can pass down and I know like having a seven-year age gap for my brothers like my mom passed a lot of my stuff down to like cousins and then we got it back when what? we had my brothers like so, oh my yeah so we've we've been like my family's really sustainable like I, I didn't know like as a kid it was just like the way that we were um but that literally would happen all the time where it'd be like okay like well now this person is pregnant so all the the aunts would get to their house and drop off a whole bunch of stuff oh. and then the next person would be pregnant and you like basically get all of it back so mm. Oh my word. Well, I like don't want to ask the last question. I'm so sad. But upcoming plans and events are in your career are you looking forward to? And where can our listeners follow you and find out more about you, especially your podcast? Because I'm about to listen as soon as we're done with this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So okay, right now, uh, I just launched my first digital course. I'm so excited. Yay. Called Toy Creators Academy. And it 
launched so well. Like I'm so excited. We have a great group of people. It's going to be awesome. Um, the doors are obviously going to close uh, Sunday, but I will launch it again next year. So whenever this episode goes out, just go to toycreatorsacademy.com to learn more and get on the list to be notified about that course. Um, but other than that, I'm just at the, I'm the toy coach everywhere. So the toycoach.com at the toy coach on Instagram, at the toy coach on Facebook, Twitter, like way too many places, TikTok. It's embarrassing. Don't go there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm working on a couple of, pro- I honestly, like most of the stuff I have in the works, I can't even talk about, but they're very exciting <laughs> and you should just really follow me to know about them when I can talk about them. Um, the other things I can talk about are just my course and my podcast and that's about it yeah your podcast (laughs) is amazing like I can say anybody who owns a business or is a creative even if you're not thinking about going to the toy industry it's definitely worth checking out this podcast as I listen to it to like prep for this and it's fantastic and it's a lot of that stuff you can also still apply to different industries as well so thank you so much yeah it's making it in the toy industry is the name of the podcast yeah, uh, not the same as the toy coach. I know. Yeah, but, it's really yeah. good. Oh, thank you so much. I try to make sure it's actionable. I want people to have yes, things to that. do, yeah, right? Like yeah. after every episode, like go do this now. Yeah, I love that. Oh, yeah. Well, no, go follow this you. now. <laughs> yeah, no, go follow the go toy follow coach everywhere. Yeah. Right.